Hey everyone, welcome to Nailed It, a podcast powered by Parker Huggett. Big welcome to Mike Souljack joining us on our next episode of Nailed It. He is a construction leader with 25 plus years experience. He's worked with notable firms such as Eastern and Graham. He's championed various roles such as Chief Estimator, General Manager, VP of Business Development, VP of Strategic Development. Big welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. And you know, outside of my warm, high-level introduction, would you be open to sharing with the listeners kind of your professional journey to where you got to today? I graduated school. I went to Conestoga College and graduated from the construction engineering program in 1992. I was hired by a local firm there, Malua Blamey Construction, and spent about, I guess it would have been about 12 years there. Left as chief estimator and then was hired at Ellis Don and worked at Ellis Don for a short time. And then, as you said, I uh, worked at Eastern for a five-year stint, went to Graham for about a four-year stint, and I've been back here at Eastern now for 10 years plus. And come from a family of construction. My dad was a custom home builder in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Kind of learned the construction business that way. Again, he was the guy that, you know, had the hammer in his hand, but also was the businessman and uh, was kind of a one-man show and decided not to take over the business, wanted to kind of learn on my own. And hence the reason I started at Malua Blamey and uh, worked there for quite some time and kind of uh, got my chops, let's say my uh, construction chops, really learning the business there. Mm-hmm. Nice. How long did the business run for? My dad passed away a couple of years ago, but business was running until he was about 67. Wow. And he was developing one last piece of land and got kind of, you know, once he sold the last couple of houses, uh, that was it. He was an immigrant to this country, you know, typical, came from Croatia, came with a hundred bucks in his pocket, started from nothing and worked hard to get to where he was and was a great example for me of what can be done. Yeah, that's amazing. I love those stories. I I couldn't imagine having to do that. (laughs) Yeah, he was also a carpenter by trade. And actually, he was a form worker. In Europe, he worked in Germany and Austria with a form work company. And that's where he kind of learned the, the business and what construction was all about. When he So when he came to Canada here, he was sponsored by a family member in that immigration. I guess that would have been in 1964 when they brought over, I think, 200,000 immigrants at once sort of thing. And he was one of those luckily to come and he was sponsored by a family member that also owned a construction forming business. And he worked for them for a couple of years and then he started out on his own and did residential foundations for probably about 20 years before he started building home. Uh, yeah, he uh, worked hard and started from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I love the constant message and story and construction development. It's either the entrepreneur or intrapreneur. And it's just a common thread. I appreciate you answering that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, like I was starting to say, I can't imagine someone doing that now. Back then it was a lot easier to start a company. You didn't have the red tape. You didn't have the paperwork. Not to say that it's not a good thing, but it was it was a lot of wild, wild west back then, just about even a lot more so than it is now. And I can't even imagine, like literally he did not know how to speak the language and he was still, he was able to get customers. And on the formwork side too, he had probably 10 to 15 residential home builders that he just constantly just did their foundations, didn't even price it. They just said, we know what your price is and we trust you. And he uh, started out and uh, really gave himself a good foundation for his future home building business uh, later on. That's amazing. And so 
Yeah, I appreciate the intro and like a little bit of backstory and sorry to geek out on uh, the past there. And No, I enjoy telling that story. I really do. I enjoy that because I think people need to know that it can be done. I say it's harder now. I can't imagine, but it's not that like it can't be done. And the opportunities today in the construction industry for anyone is, you know, whether you're going to be working with the trades or you're going to be working on the management side, there's lots of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. And there's so many different lines of business and and breaths of opportunities within construction and development. So just getting into the theme of the podcast, nailed it. Can you give an experience share where you've had a success with a higher personal situation or professional situation that's led to positive outcome or other work-related success? Most of my time has been in estimating. Like I got hired as an estimator probably of my 25, 26 years in the business, probably 19 or so, 18 or 19 have been strictly in an estimating kind of situation or or position. So especially when I was first hired in the early 90s, it was tough times then. There was no work. I remember when I was hired in the summer of 92, my wife and I had just been married and I want to say it was like 18 months before we picked up our first project. That's how bad it was. And it wasn't like we weren't bidding work. We were bidding lots, but it was just hard to get back then. And I think that really kind of put something in my mind. There's people like even within our office right now, when we go after a project and we lose the project, people really take it hard. Like they take it personal and hard. Not that I'm not upset about it when we don't win a project, but I let it slide off my back pretty quick and okay, let's move on to the next thing. And I think that has a lot to do with when I first started, you were bidding two or three jobs, you know, it was stip some tender, you know, two, three jobs a week and you weren't picking up any and you were just, okay, you got to move on to the next thing. And so, you know, when you say something that I've nailed it, I can't think of one specific thing that for me, it's been a, a slow kind of progression into what I've, the types of projects and the types of developments that I've been involved in have just gotten larger and larger and larger. It's nothing that like just all of a sudden I was involved in something that I typically didn't know about or didn't have the capacity to do, but it's just been a slow progression progression. I've been kind of been at the right place at the right time. I will say my short time at Elliston, I will say one thing. I, I learned a lot there of, uh, again, coming from construction company in Waterloo region. Things were done differently there than they were done in the GTA at that time. And I really learned a lot about the side of not just the estimating, you know, like I had the core knowledge of estimating. I was a senior estimator at Elliston. But what I really got to learn was what it takes to get work. That is those intangibles, not just the price. It's, you know, a lot of other things. It's relationships, it's business development, it's understanding your client, getting to know your client, just not on a professional basis, but getting to know them on a personal basis. I wasn't really exposed to a lot of that type of thing. At the time, Lou Blamey was only doing stip sum work. So, you you know, if you didn't have the right price, you didn't get the job. But we all know that in other types of procurement methods, it's not all about price. It's about a lot of other things. And that's the part I really learned that, hey, there's a different side to this, uh, you know, at least at that time I did. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you still leverage to this date, like 
Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, if I speak from Eastern's perspective, all our work is pretty much construction management or negotiated or design build, not necessarily stip sum, especially the way things are in the market right now. It's difficult to bid stip sum work and getting those prices from the trades and being able to get a commitment from the trades for that price for a specific amount of time. It's it's difficult. And we're fortunate. We do $250 million worth a year and we pretty much do that every year. No more, no less typically. And it's not like we have to beat our volume by another 10% the next year. It's like we work within our means. So we can typically be a little bit choosier of what we pursue. So in answer to your question, I would say, yeah, I mean, those fundamentals I still use to this day. And if I could have my choice, the methods of a procurement like construction and management or design build would be my preference before stip sum. Do you find because you get to use more of your talents in the sense or there's more strategy behind it versus just low price or... Yeah, I would say that has a little bit to do with it. I think it's also, let's like, you know, I'm not going to mince words about it. I mean, the the risk profile is different, right? Stip sum, you know, you're collecting your prices and you're ensuring that the scopes of work are all there and you're not missing anything. And you usually have a few hours to figure that out. And that's not the preferable method in this current climate, I would say, where prices are good for 24 hours. If you're lucky, you can maybe get it for a couple of weeks, but that's about it. So that's really changed. And I'm seeing a lot of potential owners out there, like the private sector has always on the development side. It's typically construction management or design build, or if it's construction management, they want to be able to lock in their risk at a time with a GMP uh, or something like that and got no issues there. At least you are as the construction manager, you have some control over your fate. Whereas on the stip sum side, a lot of times you don't have control over your fate. And we like being brought on very early and being able to help set the table with the other individuals around the table to make a successful project. And it's a lot less adversarial. Everybody's around the table for a common good and a common goal uh, to get the project done. And I think I would like to say in all of our projects, we'd like to think that the consultants think of us as a plus. And I know we do reciprocate on that. We think that they're a plus, that we use each other's talents to make a successful end to the project. That's why I like those collaborative types of procurement methods. And I mean, the, the private sector's known that for a long time. I'm now seeing the public sectors doing construction management. And uh, because they know that Stip sum doesn't necessarily bring all positives. I mean, yes, you have cost certainty, but there's a lot of other question marks out there that they end up having to deal with. So, and it is all, you know, not just Eastern, but other companies, uh, our competition, you know, we all have something to bring to the table early on that can help the owner try to, you know, get around those issues, those potential issues, whether it's the cost of steel, projecting what's going to happen with pricing of materials, labor issues. You can't do those things on a kind of a stipulated sum type of situation. Whereas, uh, you know, you're only talking to your general contractor after you've awarded the project. Yeah, doesn't sound ideal. No, it doesn't. I'm not saying that we'll never get involved in lump sum work. You have to be ready to adapt, and we are. We can do any method of a procurement, but our preference would be to use those other methods that are more collaborative. Amazing. What does the general contracting and development industry in Canada do really well from your perspective? I think what we do really well is, and the really good companies know the pulse of the market, what's going on in the market to be able to properly advise our clients 
And this includes the consultants too of, you know, the types of materiality to specify, really have an understanding of operationally some of the pitfalls and some of the concerns and some of the risks that we all have as a team going forward. You know, this industry has got some really, really smart people in all facets of the industry that can really bring some positives to the table. And that's what I like about it. There's nothing better than when you're on a team, whether it's construction management, design build, whatever the case may be, where you have some really smart people around the table that, uh, listen, I don't have all the answers Eastern doesn't have all the answers sometimes, but we ensure we surround ourselves with individuals that can give you those answers in a collaborative and positive manner. That's what you want in a team. That's what we're always looking for when we're looking for partners, whether it's a consultant on a design-build basis or major trades. We look for positive outcomes from other projects, and that goes away in my little notebook, and I never forget it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And what do you believe is the construction industry's biggest challenge ahead? Well, I think the obvious, one of the obvious ones is um, incoming people to kind of pass the torch to. It seems like people that are moving around from company to company, and that's exactly what they're doing, but I don't see people necessarily staying for long periods of times with companies, which is a little concerning, but it's the same people that I see moving around. And there's no new blood. I, I just don't see a lot of new blood coming into the industry that I, that, at least that I see. And that's a concern of mine. And I try to think, like, where is it coming from? Like, I, I come from a time I was mentioning when I graduated in early 92, I had a graduating, I think we started with 65 students in first year. By the time that we graduated, I think there was 12 of us. It was a difficult course and people were dropping like flies. But of the 12 people that graduated, I think I was the only one to get a job in the construction industry. And there was a, in that time period, three or four year time period or in and around 92, I think a lot of people were educated in the construction industry, couldn't find a job and never went back to it. And that I believe is contributing to a little bit of what I call a black hole in the industry with people of my vintage, you know, in the early to mid fifties that there's not as many of us around. I'm hoping that generation that's 15 or 20 years younger, there's lots of people in the industry that are going to continue making it forward. But And I'm talking management here. I'm not even talking about the obvious issues and concerns on the labor side, on the on the trade side. That's That goes without saying. But there is, I believe, a little bit of a, a shortage of qualified management people going forward that's a little concerning, that have the experience dealing with complex projects. That's probably, I think, one of the challenges that's maybe not talked about as much. Everybody talks about trades, trades, trades. Yes, there's definitely a shortage, but there is also now, and I think will continue to be a little bit of a shortage on the management side also. Yeah, the gap's getting bigger and bigger. It's yeah. it's definitely a common conversation. And look, at I'm in no situation than a lot of other companies, whether you're like, I'm, I'm a shareholder here at Eastern. I'm looking around and I always want to look around to say, who's going to buy my shares? Whether you're a sole owner of a company that, oh, who's going to buy my company out? Who am I going to sell it to? That's got to go through a lot of people's minds. If you don't have people coming up to in your company that are going to buy you out, quite literally, it's a concern. Because yeah, sure, you want your money as a shareholder, but you also want the company to continue and to be in good hands when you move on. I mean, Eastern's been around for 72, 73, 74 years. I can't remember. I should know this the number. But but I mean, we've been around a long time. And there's a lot of, few other firms in the, in the city here that have been around just as long. And there's a legacy that you want to 
continue after. And uh, but you need solid, qualified people to take that leadership role going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the want and need is so much bigger than when you graduated. Oh, you yeah. know, the dichotomy is wild. And jobs have gotten more complex as space gets less and less in the city. I think if you asked anybody that worked in the GTA 35, 40 years ago, yeah, we had some major projects. We had things like, you know, Eastern did them, you know, Metro Convention Center, things like that. Those were complicated jobs, no doubt about it. But they're even more, I think, magnified. Even the 50, 60 million dollar projects there's some complexity to them that you really need to know your stuff and have people that know their stuff uh, working for you to be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more required from management today. Would you say it's a complexity piece or a stress piece? or? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think the complexity brings the stress. And especially if you don't have the people, whether in your own house, your four walls or your major subtrades are the major trades in the city here in Toronto. And I'm sure this is in all the other major cities in North America. If we're experiencing issues with talent, they are also. And I know that for a fact in speaking to a lot of them. So they have the same challenges that we do. So when they can't bring that project manager, that mechanical contractor can't bring that project manager to the table to be able to take on a complex project that just causes issues, ripple effect throughout the whole project, for example. Complexity brings on the stress, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could be good stress too, like for the listeners out there, like the challenge, you know, the obstacles to overcome while building something, you know, that you could walk by and be proud of and tell your kids about that there could be a good competitive stress there. I don't think it's a bad stress. No, it all depends on the person, right? I mean, everybody, look at, we all have stress and we always will have stress. In our retirement, we're going to probably have stress, maybe just to a different level and a different type of situation or different situational stress. But no, I've got a lot to thank to about to to the industry. It's challenging. It's becoming more challenging, but we also have better tools to deal with projects. Like when I started the industry, uh, fax machines were just coming on the sites. It was a few years after I started where I think emails were just becoming a a reality. And it was just only a select few people had email addresses and and email capabilities. So listen, we've come a long way. The technology part of it is great. I just wish for the, the younger generation to be able to, instead of texting somebody, you know, pick up the phone and actually talk to people, get to know people. As I said, early when we first started, the pieces that I learned early on, the those intangibles of getting to know your clients and subcontractor partners on a personal level, I can't tell you how many times that has saved something that I had issues or concerns with because I could pick up the phone and say, look at, I need help with this. Can you help me? And because I know these people on, on a social level and, and really well, that most people would always say, yeah, no problem. What, what do you need? And I can't tell you. And when you're just texting to people and emailing and not getting to know people, that's really hard to pull in favors later on when they don't know you on a personal level. Yeah. As human beings, we desire connection and it goes so far. Like there's a place for text, there's a place for email. I mean, those are all knowns, but having that human interaction and connection is, that's all part of doing business. And there's just no tone in text, you know? No, no. And even the Zoom meetings and the Teams meetings, I know, you know, through the pandemic, that was just reality. But the problem now is trying to get back to, I know I'll never get back to where it was before. There's definitely a convenient, if I don't have 
have to drive across town to a face-to-face meeting that might take half hour and it's maybe not a really important meeting and you could just deal with it on a Zoom call. That's fantastic. That's great. That's going to save me time and I can go on and do something else. But there are times where meeting face-to-face is important and I'm seeing there are some firms out there, whether there's consultants or whether they're owners that just don't want to meet face-to-face because people are comfortable now and not having to meet face-to-face and not just in a Zoom meeting, I'm saying around the table. So that'll be a challenge going forward because I still think, uh, yeah, this Zoom meetings are great and you get to know people, but there's nothing like sitting down having a coffee with somebody during a break in a meeting to really get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, those are the situations that, you know, those eureka moments happen or that water cooler situation provokes a healthy dialogue about a way forward. And maybe that wouldn't have happened over a virtual call. And I think a lot of firms, like I was just reading an article on the weekend, one of the major banks, I won't name, but their CEO said that they're mandating all their staff to go back three days a week. And so... To your point, there's this, the compromise is, compromise is a beautiful thing. And so I think if we have that, and I'm also hearing from candidates too, that they miss going into the office. That's great to hear. Yeah, not all of them, but no, 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 no. <laughs> some no of them, look yeah. at hey, look at there's some advantages, and some of it's economical to stay at home. Like I get it. And when you're building a company, whether you're on the contracting side or on the consulting side or on the development owner side, it's hard to develop a culture within your four walls if you know you're only talking by Teams meetings and telephone calls and not getting to know each other on that personal basis. I get it. I understand it. And I know from our perspective. We ask all our employees to come in the office. We're not inflexible to specific situations. And sometimes if you've got a personal issue to deal with, totally get it. But I think it's important that for the most part that our people are in the office. And quite frankly, our site people don't have that option typically. And it's not really fair to those individuals. And I think it's important that across the board, you're fair with all the employees, no matter what they do. In your opinion, why should you strongly consider a career in construction or development? I always say you're not building widgets. I can't tell you how many projects I've been in. They're always one-offs. I call them custom pieces of jewelry that you're building every different project. And I can't say that there's been two days that have been the same for me in my whole career. There's always been something, a new challenge, something I never heard of that I needed to deal with or my team needed to deal with. The challenges always seem to be different. They could be similar, but there's always this little, small little difference to it that make it interesting. And that's what I like about the industry. Even when, let's say, I know back in the day when I used to do a lot of elementary schools, and there were times where those school boards, they would have the same floor plan to be economical about it over maybe three or four or five sites. But there was always something different to it. You were always on a different site. There was always something different below grade that you had to deal with. There was always that extra challenge. So you're not building widgets. It's something custom every single time. And that's that's what I like about it. And the satisfaction after of going to that turning over ceremony and official opening and seeing the smiles on everybody's faces from the owners, the consultants and the people from your company that were actually responsible on site to say, yeah, you know what? It was a lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights, but we did it and got it to a successful end. That's the most satisfying to me. I like that for anyone who's looking to get into a specific industry because there are certain jobs and it's not right or wrong where you feel like you're in a hamster wheel. 
every day. Yeah. And it sounds like construction development and what you're saying is the only thing constant is change, right? Yep. Not to say we're not in a wheel, but the wheel is different. It seems like it's different all the time. I mean, we all have jobs to do. We have deadlines. We have people we've signed contracts for that we have to fulfill. I'm not saying that's not challenging, but the journey to get to that point, And when you do get to that point, it's very satisfying. It's extremely satisfying. And no two journeys are the same. There's You're dealing with different people, different consultants, different owners, different contracts, different buildings. That's what makes it exciting. And that's why I tell like part-time, I, I taught at taught an estimating program at Conestoga College. And I used to tell the students, this was back in the mid to late 90s, one of my profs there called and said, you need to do this for us as a favor because we've got no one else. Somebody I think got sick or something. So I had to do it for a couple of years for them, and which I didn't mind. But I remember telling the students back then the rewards, not only personal satisfaction, Satisfaction, but also economic are definitely there. And I can still say to that this day, it is. There are tremendous opportunities in this industry. And because of the technology side that are required now in all our projects, there's just so many facets within the construction industry that just weren't even there 15, 20 years ago. And as things like artificial intelligence come to the forefront, there'll even be more as time go forward. You don't just need to be someone that has engineering background to work for a construction company anymore. That's just the reality of it. So it's a lot more inclusive of other types of disciplines and educational backgrounds that the industry has openings for every company does don't just have to be an engineer anymore Mm -hmm. yeah no it's definitely expanded for sure awesome well mike thanks so much for taking the time and and sharing you know your experience with us and and thoughts and you know it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this uh, episode of nailed it no i appreciate it i thank you for the opportunity glad you asked me i had a great time and good luck with the podcast oh thank you so much mike have a great day Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye.